0: All right, well, welcome to church. You could have been a whole lot of other places, but you came to church. You should have seen Shaler during that whole thing. Amber leans over and says, Shaler is completely emotionless. He's not even looking. He's, yeah. That's how she will be the next 30 minutes <laughs> as I'm up here. All right, um, once again, I want to welcome all the kids that are here for Family Worship Sunday. Can you wave at me? I wanna see where you are. Yeah, I see another one. Wave, 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 wave. Yep, oh, yep, there's Jonathan. Anybody in the balcony? Yo, oh yeah, Bunches bunch is up there. That's good, all right. We are really glad you guys are here. Uh, you're a valuable part of this service. In fact, I was gonna do this, well, I'll do it later. I'm gonna have Brenda come up at the very end because we're gonna to end today with communion. And I want Brenda to kind of remind us why we do Family Worship Sunday. Because it's not just to give y'all a break every, you know, five, every fifth Sunday of the year. There's, there's a lot of purpose for it. And I know why it's a valuable thing to my family. I kind of wanted them to hear it from your family. And then the way we're ending today is actually we're gonna take communion together because we're all here together. Just last week, someone asked me, Roderick and his wife asked me, uh, when do we do communion all together? And forgetting that we were doing it this week, I was like, yeah, about every three or four months. But sure enough, it is today, and so we're, we're all together, it's a, it's a privilege to do so, it's a privilege to worship with the kids, it's a privilege, to, it's, a, it's a good thing for the kids to see us worshiping, that sort of thing, but there's a lot of purpose to it. Um, so today, with the kids in mind, I, I had them in mind as I was putting together the message, and so let's pray and just ask that the Lord would take the word and the message and, and uh, allow it to fit the places of our hearts and our minds that we need it to fit, so. So Lord, we, um, we've come. I just said earlier like, hey, I'm glad you're in church. The truth is we came to church not out of habit, not just because this is what we do. We came to church to meet with you, and it really is a privilege to be able to open up the word and to share a thought in hopes that your Holy Spirit, somewhere between my lips and their ears would do something and take it and form it and place it just where it needs to go. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use my words and then speak a whole bunch of other stuff in between here and their ears so that they would walk away uh, encouraged and challenged and helped because that is your desire for us, is to encourage us and to to challenge us and to help us. We wanna become more like you today. In Jesus' name we pray it, amen. All right, this morning I'm gonna be sharing about perspective, and that is a big 11 letter word. I know you second graders probably don't have 11 letter words on your spelling list, but maybe the third grade, maybe next month you're gonna have those big words like that, but it's a big one, and the definition is a particular attitude towards or way of regarding something. It's your point of view. Uh, Perspective is what makes it possible for two people to look at the very same thing and come up with two completely different uh, understandings. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Two men sat under a bridge on the beach in the sand eating together. The second man asked the first man, so what are we doing here? and the first man groaned oh well, I mean, obviously i'm sitting in the sand eating sardines and vienna sausages with you and the second man responds oh that's interesting because i was actually dining with a friend on surf and turf with an ocean view <laughs> perspective a particular attitude toward or regarding something, it's your point of view. Do you kids know what surf and turf is? You do? Surf is the fishy thing, surf. That's like your, like if you go to if you go to the restaurant later with your parents, just when the waiter comes up, just ask him. (laughs) When he asks you, what do you want? Just say surf and turf. (laughs) And then your parents will explain to you what surf and turf is. But basically it's like ordering a lobster and a steak. One guy sees eating a can of sardines and a can of Vienna sausage the other guy sees, surf and turf with a friend on the beach, perspective. Matthew Henry, the great 17th century theologian, best known for his commentaries on the Old Testament and the New Testament, he was robbed one day by a gang of thieves and in his diary that night, this is what he wrote. Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it wasn't that much. And fourth, let me be thankful because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Perspective. It's a particular attitude toward or way of regarding something. And in this case, attitude towards or way of regarding being robbed. I like Matthew Henry's perspective Sounds like a man who's been changed from the inside, doesn't it? A proper perspective is an attractive thing, I found. In fact, I've known a lot of people who are sick or struggling or hurting in some way or the other but they have a a heavenly perspective and it, it really is a, it's a beautiful thing. It's like they've recognized in life that even in their pain, even in their struggle, even in their lack, even in their loss, they've recognized that even at this last for a prolonged period, even if this lasts for the rest of my life, my life is a vapor. It is a just an instant. And then we pass on into eternity. And when you when you find people that have that type of perspective, it, it really is, it really is beautiful. So perspective. Another guy, he's a businessman. And he was asked to speak in this business meeting. About twenty people were there. And uh, he, he got this big sheet of paper and he pinned it on the wall and he got his Sharpie and he just goes <laughs> and he says, all right, what do you see? And the first guy points out, he says, well, I, I see a black spot. Yeah, what do you see? I also see a black spot, okay? What about you? Same, and you? Black spot, went around the whole room, all 20 people saw a black spot. And he said, yes, indeed, there is a black spot. But what you all failed to notice was the huge white sheet of paper. And he literally says, my speech is done, and he walks. <laughs> and I think he was talking about noticing opportunities, not just problems, but he had perspective. It's easy to zero in on the, on the black spot. Hey, by the way, I'm gonna start a bunch of rabbit trails, and I'm not gonna finish them today. I'm gonna let you and the Holy Spirit deal with stuff. And part of it is because he does that, right? And then part of it is because the kids are here. And then part of it is because I don't wanna keep you for an hour and a half. And I'm gonna just bounce a lot of places, but literally just gonna leave him, leave him hanging and you guys will finish those things. So perspective a particular attitude towards or way of regarding something, it's your point of view. And to be clear, I'm not talking about optimism and pessimism today, okay? That's, that's not what I'm talking about, I'm talking about uh, perspective. Optimism and pessimism is, is kind of more rooted in, in personality, or at least in my opinion, it's more personality. In fact, did you know that there are optimists and pessimists in this room and they're both Christians? <laughs> like, wave at me if you're a glass half full person. Wave at me, okay? Now, wave at me if you're a glass half empty person. Oh my goodness, Christians, both, they're pessimist ones and optimists. So that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about perspective and truly what we're really talking about is gaining God's perspective. So there's optimists, they see the glass half full. Oh, it's positive, man, there's, there's hope. Then the, the pessimist sees it half empty. Then there's realists. We got any realists in here? Some of the real, yeah, realists are just like, it's a half a glass, <laughs> yeah, and you should have got a smaller one. I mean, parent, realist parents are like, you should have got a smaller one, and make sure you put it in the dishwasher when you're done for crying out loud. <laughs> All right, let's get into the meat of the message here. A man fell in a pit, Okay. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person came along and said, well, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think you're in that pit. (laughs) A Pharisee said, only bad people fall in pits. A mathematician calculated just how exactly he fell into that pit. A news reporter wanted a scoop on how he got into the pit. A Calvinist said, if you had been saved, you never would have fallen into that pit. Hallelujah. An Arminian said, you were saved and you still fell in that pit, glory. <laughs> a charismatic said, just confess that you're not in that pit. Claim it, brother. <laughs> a realist came along and said, now that, that is a pit. (laughs) (laughs) A geologist told him to appreciate the rock strata in his pit, an IRS agent asked him if he was paying taxes on his pit. The county inspector asked if he had secured a proper permit to build that pit. An evasive person came along and avoided the subject altogether. A self-pitying person said, you call that a pit? You ain't seen nothing until you've seen my pit. (laughs) An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. And Jesus seeing the man reached down, took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. Is anybody thankful for Jesus today? So today we are seeking a godly perspective. I'm not gonna force you towards optimism today. That's not what I'm interested in. I'm saying let's check and see if we're walking in a godly perspective. It's interesting how all those people looked at the same man in the same pit and they all saw something different. But Jesus rescues the man. Psalm 41 through three says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. He heard my cry, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud, out of the mire, he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Thank you, Lord. Do you remember your pit? You remember? Some of you guys were saved from your pit so long ago that you've forgotten. Do you remember yours? You remember how hopeless you were? Imagine for a minute that you're the guy in the pit. His perspective, his point of view was high, inescapable mud walls and a slippery, clay, wet floor. He was dirty and he was stuck, okay? But Jesus comes and pulls him out, places him on a rock, so that he could stand firm, he was, he was set free. And in being set free, his perspective changed. That is the, that's the gospel message, he's, he's pulled you out. You couldn't do it, but your perspective changed. He's given you a new life, he's, given you, he's made you a new creation, and we can now share in God's perspective. Do you, do you see what I mean? If you're in a pit, your point of view is muddy walls. It's all, it's all it, it, You can see just a little bit of, it's a a terribly different place, but then the Lord pulls you out, and by default, because of what he's done, our perspective has changed. Now we're on a high place looking out, looking down. We can see, see a whole lot better. Cornelius Van Til is an influential 20th century Christian apologist, and he would often encourage his students to think God's thoughts after him. In other words, go get God's perspective. Share in his point of view. Think his thoughts after him. Amber and I, years ago, started a tradition. When each of our kids turned 13, we cash in all of our miles and our points. I don't want you guys thinking that we're rich pastors here, all right? We like to keep our pastors in the bit. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, we don't, we're blessed. Thank you. Now, but when our kids turn 13, uh, there's this coming of age, right? And our society, our culture doesn't do coming of age very well, have you noticed? There's a lot of 35 year olds still playing video games in their mom's basement, have you noticed that? A lot of, they haven't really ever come, I mean, I'm just saying. Uh, we don't do that well, and so Pastor Des years ago gave me a book, and it's called Ra- "Raising a Modern Day Knight." And in it, it talks about rites of passage, and it talks about African cultures and how they would, their boys and their girls would go through these rites of passage. And then it talks about, you know, the, the Hispanic community has the quinceanera, and the and the Jewish community has the bar mitzvahs and the bat mitzvahs. And it's this this idea that at age 13 or at age 12 or at some appropriate time we're gonna call them into something greater. And so Amber and I, we kind of wanted to dip our toe into that world. And so we've, every time our kids turn about 13, we cash in our points and then we go do something. And we always ask them like, what do you wanna do? And the truth is it doesn't have to be exotic. We just have a lot of points. So they tend to be exotic, but it could be that we're gonna just go out to dinner and have this, these special conversations and these one-on-one times. And that's the other thing, we have four kids. So like every once in a while, you just gotta pull them out individually and have some special time with, with each, each child because otherwise it's always, it's always group time and I think we miss, miss a little bit of those moments where we can go a little deeper. So with Atticus, he turned 13 most recently. Next is Bryn, she's already got her trip cooking and I'm excited about that and I'm building up points. Um, but Atticus, we went. he wanted to go skiing and so with, with Bennett, he, he wanted to see Oxford. So we went and did London and Oxford and we have some friends in, in, in Zurich and we stayed with them and it was wonderful. But with Atticus, he just wanted to go skiing. So we were like, well, let's go back and ski with Kim and Bernie because Kim and Bernie hosted us and it was beautiful and the skiing was wonderful. But we were like, no, we can't bug them. Let's dream big. We got points. Points will fly no matter where. And so we went and skied the Alps. Yeah, this was just last, earlier this year. And so we stayed in Zermatt, which is at the base of this really, really famous mountain. And I want to show you this picture. So while we were there, we took this picture. We're walking through the town. And I wasn't even sure if I would see this mountain. We come around the corner. It's this really quaint, beautiful, you know, what you expect, mountain village. We come around the corner and boom, there it was. Oh, not that one. Go back. Go back. Go back. There, there it is. And that's, that's Atticus's his head right there, and he see, we see this mountain. Does anybody, and actually I have a second picture of that mountain, uh, Not go, go ahead go to the other picture. I'm gonna show you a little closer, that one right there. Now, many of you already know what that mountain, this is one of the most iconic mountains in the world. What is it? The Matterhorn, yeah. You know that Toblerone chocolate bar? You know how it's a t- triangle? It's because it's mimicking the Matterhorn. It's a Swiss chocolate, it's just a fabulous. This is such a beautiful, such a nomad. There's thousands and tens of thousands of mountains in the world, I don't know how many there are, but this one people know. Let me show you another picture of a mountain that we also saw, we took this picture too. You know what this picture, this mountain is? It's also the Matterhorn. Yeah, we were skiing and when you're on the Swiss side, you see the Matterhorn as we love it and when you're on the Italian side, you see this. Still a nice rock, but it's not the Matterhorn. It is not the Matterhorn. The Swiss view is far better, and that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about perspective. We're talking about points of view, perspectives. They make a big difference, and as Christians, we have the opportunity to share in God's perspective. So our text today is Can I get my Bible, Atticus, can you bring that Bible? Our text today is 2 Kings chapter six, verse 13 through 18, thank you, sir. I wanna read through this, and I'm going to just pull a few few little reminders out, and then we're gonna pray, and then we are going to take communion together, amen? All right, so Lord, as we open up your word, this is the part that we need you to speak to our hearts. This is the part where not everything is gonna apply to us in this moment, but there's gonna be something that does. And so this is the part that we invite your Holy Spirit to just do uh, His thing. And so we invite you and ask that you would speak to us now in Jesus' name. All right, so starting in verse 13 it says, go find out where he is, the king of Aram ordered, so I can send men and capture him. Now let me give you you the background. the Arameans were raiding the Israelites and they were just just wreaking havoc. They were stealing from them and they were just doing it over and over and over and over. Well, Elisha started receiving like these downloads of knowledge from God and would just call the king and say, hey, they're coming over there to Saginaw. Just be wary, just be wary, you know. And then they would prep and they would be ready for them and there would be nothing there to steal or the people would be in safety. And then a couple of weeks later, the, uh, the Aramean king would go back and do, do it again, and, and they were going down to Haltim, and then the Elisha would tell everybody in Haltum, hey, don't go. And it was just driving the king crazy. This happened over and over and over again, and Elisha kept spoiling the plan. So finally, the, the king was like, are they, I mean, do I have a spy amongst, amongst us? Is this, is this what's going on? One of you spy They like, No, no, Elisha just knows, like God's talking to him. Okay, so then the brilliance of the king says, well, go find out where he is so we can capture him. I'm thinking, well, don't you think God's gonna tell him that? But anyway, (laughs) so he says, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And this is what he says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? And then the reply is, well, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike them a blindness, and he did, and the rest of the story is pretty awesome, and it's, it's worth reading. But th- what we're gonna focus on today are just a few things out of this part of the story, because we're talking about perspective, and we're talking about points of view. The first thing I wanna remind you guys of this as I read in this is the location. Where does this take place at? Yeah, Dothan. Now, the first time I, I, mean, I had a little note in my Bible from years ago, and it was a cross-reference that I'd written in to another time in the Bible that talks about Dothan. Because Dothan is not one of those places like Jerusalem that just shows up all the time. But I remember it from somewhere. So I did a little research, went back, and I found it in Genesis chapter 37, 17 through 20. Let's go ahead and look at that passage together. It says, they have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So this is obviously the story of Joseph. Remember whenever he was thrown into that cistern, he was thrown into that pit. Can you imagine being thrown into a pit by your brothers? Do you think he prayed when he was in that pit? I bet he did. I bet he prayed, Lord, rescue me from this pit. And you know what? I bet he was ticked off when he was taken out of that pit and sold into slavery and taken into Egypt. At that moment, he had no idea that God was placing him exactly where he was gonna place him to save his nation, to save his family, to just move the story forward. He didn't know. All he knew was was he was in a pit and he wasn't rescued. Isn't it interesting that in the same city of Dothan, one Christian, well, this is pre-Christ cross, so one godly person was rescued, Elisha. He prays and he says, Lord, open up their eyes. We're surrounded by the enemy. And he does, and we see it, he, and he rescued him. And then another godly person, God doesn't seem to answer his prayers at all. He gets taken away and taken off to Egypt. Man, that's either God's mean or I don't have the right perspective. And I think Joseph didn't have the right perspective. Um, so the first thing I wanna just point out is, is Dothan. You might be in a spot in a pit, I'm not talking about pit like I haven't been saved, like he's, he's raised you out of that pit, but you know what, life is full of, full of pits and you can find yourself in some low places. You might be in a place and you've been praying for a while and you're still there and you're looking around going well, <laughs> he helped Clyde. Why would he help Clyde and not help me? I would just like to encourage you today, God has a different perspective God has a different point of view. If you're in a pit, this is what you're seeing, and God is far above, and he's gonna rescue you one way or the other, that part I'm confident in, don't be discouraged, don't be discouraged. If you're in a Dothan, just keep praying, keep believing, God's not forgotten you. Second thing, look at what the the servant said. Uh, This struck me, I haven't read it in any commentaries, it just struck me. He says, oh no my Lord, Now we see the word Lord a lot in the Bible, but usually it's capital, it's usually a capital L. This is a lowercase l, oh no my Lord. And as I was reading that this week I thought, you know what, the servant, his source of help was actually Elisha. I know the Lord ended up doing all the work, but like it was actually Elisha. And I wondered, I wonder how many times that that we take things to the Lord, but we really ought to also take them to someone else in the midst. You know, it's part of the, it's, I think part of, the, um, part of the value of the church is that we're, we're all in this together, and, and so I might be going something like, like, Aaron, you went through cancer. Someone else will be going through cancer. I wonder how much value it would be. Yeah, they're praying to the Lord, but to go to Aaron and say, hey, I'm in trouble, help me. I wonder how many times that we just don't do that. And I think here, God doesn't come and say, I rebuke you, servant, for not praying to me. He, he cried out, oh Lord, lowercase l. And I just wanna encourage you guys, don't be afraid to reach out to someone else in the community. It's not a, um, I mean, obviously reach out to the Lord as well, right? But it's not a it's not a lack of faith, it's actually a, it's an understanding that this community is built, it's here, it's a gift, it's a part of the process, it's for us, and, uh, and, don't, and don't miss it. So he cries out, oh Lord. And so today I wanna encourage you, is there a situation in your life that maybe you've been taken to the Lord, capital L, but maybe you need to take it to a, someone else, a lowercase l as well, and if there is, go do it. The Lord might just very well be gonna use that conversation or that relationship to bring you the healing or the help that you need, right? Can you do that? Or maybe it's the flip side. Maybe you are the, the Elisha. Maybe you have found victory or courage or success in an area of your life. Maybe you need to be the one to reach out to a servant who's scared and invite them into your courage, invite them into your perspective, invite them into your strength because it works, it works both ways, amen? Does that make sense? So the first thing is just, just notice the place. God's... If you're stuck in that pit, got it. Uh, God hadn't forgot you. The second one is don't, don't be afraid to reach out to other people. Third one, pastor, you need to go yet? I knew you'd get offended at some point right in here. <laughs> <clears throat> pastor is, is going to our Kenya service to dedicate some children today. And he was, he was worried that if, I, if he just walked out in the middle that, that might be a, a distraction. So I just made it one. <laughs> one more thing. Obviously, the big, the big um, line in this whole passage in my heart is those who are with us are more than those who are with them That's something that if if you're not remembering that that's God's point of view all the time, (laughs) it's always his point of view, that he knows that those that are with him are greater than those that are with the enemy. He knows that. If we're not walking in that, uh, you're gonna live in fear. And then speaking of fear, I love the fact that this servant, his eyes get opened and all of a sudden his fear melts. And what does he have? He has peace. All of a sudden, just total peace. Isn't it interesting that he was in God's protection the whole time? It is possible to live in God's protection but not in his peace. I wanna encourage you, again, Holy Spirit, pinpoint the parts that we need to hear, but Lord, we wanna live in your protection and in your peace, and if we don't capture and we don't take up God's perspective, his point of view, we can actually walk through our entire life saved as saved can be. We are gonna be in heaven with him for eternity, but our earthly existence can be a lot more difficult than it has to be. I know a lot of people, even myself during seasons where I'm not walking in his peace because I have adopted my own perspective and I've let go of God's perspective. So today, the conversation is about seeking godly perspective. And uh, some of it comes at salvation. Uh, I was thinking about this this week. When God placed you on the rock and he pulled you out of that pit, your perspective changed forever. I mean, how could it not? I mean, you were looking at mud walls and now you've been set on a high place. And we know that when we're in the pit, the Bible says in Colossians 1.21 that we were alienated from God and that we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. But at salvation, we were reconciled to him and our eyes became open, kind of like the servant in the story of 2 Kings, He, he opened our eyes and that's the first way that we are able to taste and step into his perspective just because of what he did. I mean, he took us from here and placed us up in here. That's the first, part. but the second way is more of a process, and that's the part that we've gotta be a part of. The first part was God's doing, the second part is this. The second part was we gain a perspective, we gain a godly perspective. Uh, we begin to think his thoughts after him whenever we study his word. Uh, whenever we experience him in our lives, whenever we experience him in the lives of others. That's kind of like that whole thing about, I see that Elisha had victory in this. I see that Elisha has a good perspective in this. <clears throat> I'm gonna get into his perspective. And we learn that way. We learn that we borrow from the perspective of others and from the victories of others. Ephesians 1, 17 through 18 says, it says, Paul prays. I think it's appropriate to <clears throat> even pray this over ourselves. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Pastor Des would often say, just get as close to Jesus as you can. In other words, just see and think about things as closely to how Jesus would see and think about them as you can. And as you do, you'll gain a more godly perspective. Remember Cornelius Van Til, think God's thoughts after him. Just copy him. Just speak like he does. Think like he does. Do like he does. And in the process, our perspective, our point of view solidifies. Again, a lot of it happened at salvation. You, you, you couldn't even stop that. But a lot of it happens over the journey, over the sanctification, over the discipleship process. And that's the part that if you don't do your part, if we don't do our part, if we're not diligent, we can live in his protection, but not in his peace. We can live with all the riches, all the promises, but we never take them off the shelf and and actualize them in our lives. And that's on us. We're still getting to heaven. You're still good there, but there's so much more for the here. The message translation of Romans 12.2, it's one of a lot of people's favorite verses. It it says it a little different. 12.2 in the NIV says something like, no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the message version says it like this. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. And I think that's what we saw in Matthew Henry. The dude gets robbed <laughs> and his perspective is just, it just comes out. You know, he didn't write that journal entry so that we could read it several hundred years later because he knew he would be a famous, you know, and we'd all Google and, and that would be the first thing that pops up. He, he wrote it because every night he'd go to his his bedroom and before he went to the bed, he would, he would put in another journal. And that was just out of the overflow of his heart. That was just out of, what God was doing in his life. And I think that's obviously that's what the Lord desires to do in us today. So maybe the the major takeaway. God's perspective, that's what we want. A lot of it happened by default. But there's some work to be done for the rest of it. And I want us to walk in his wholeness. I want us to walk in his peace and in his strength and in, in all, the, all the promises of God, and we can do that. Or we don't have to. We're still saved, but it's not as rich. So, so I wanna pray for you guys, and then, like we said, we're gonna take communion. So, so Lord Jesus, Philippians 1.6 says that you've begun a good work in us, that you're faithful to complete it until Christ's return. That includes our perspective. So whether you reveal yourself dramatically like you did for this servant or like you did for Saul on the road to Damascus and it was big and it was powerful and dramatic or whether it's subtle like Asaph in, in uh, Psalm 73, verse 17 where he was so downcast, angry, frustrated but then he entered in the house of the Lord. He walked into the sanctuary and all of a sudden he caught a glimpse of your perspective and it changed everything. And then you go on to read and it says things like, I'd rather have God than anything else. And his perspective was made right. So whether it's dramatic or whether it's subtle, whether it's through the reading of your word in the mornings or whether it's through a friend sharing their victories and, their, and their, um, in, in allowing us into their courage and into their, into their perspective however you want to do it Lord I guess what I'm just saying is we offer to you our perspective we want you to change and mold it as well so that we can become more and more like you for our sake for your glory and for those around us because you have begun a good work in us and you will be faithful to complete it so Lord Jesus I pray for these these folks in our congregation including the kids Lord, from an early age, would you mold their hearts and mold their minds? You're up to something good. And we just pray that as we can grasp this concept of of thinking your ways, thinking your thoughts, as we can grasp that, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what you could do, what you will do through these, especially these young ones. So Lord, I pray your blessing, your favor, your goodness, your mercy, your peace, your protection, all of the richness of heaven would be upon this group. In Jesus' name I pray it, amen.